Hello, good morning. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Um, this morning we're gonna talk about hope and the role that that plays in our lives. Now, if we think back on the past year and a half or we mention the word 2020, <laughs> we all have some kind of reaction. Like I could scroll through the screens right now and see it on all of your faces, what that brings up for all of us. Like for instance, we had Tiger King. I never watched it, but it was like a big deal. It was a thing. Um, way too many at-home haircuts, I think, for our likings. Those didn't always go well. Um, in the beginning, toilet paper hoarding. Like, what was that all about? Come on. Um, and then a lot of bread baking for some reason. Everyone decided it was time for them to learn how to bake bread. Um, but there's one thing I think that we could all agree on is that 2020 gave us some pretty good memes. There was a lot to work with, a lot of uh, good material. So I have a few memes that we're gonna go through. We're gonna look at, I would not by any means say they're a top 10, but they made me chuckle. I thought they were pretty funny. So let's go through these. The first one, here we go. So this is for all you Office fans out there. It's Michael Scott. And it reads, time traveler, what year is it? Me, 2020, time traveler. Yeah, I think we all had that reaction to 2020. Okay, the second one, um, I think this is something that maybe we all picture is happening in outer space, maybe even now. And it is the meteor saying, I'm sorry, were you next? And the alien space invasion saying, oh no, no after you, please, you first, right? It feels pretty accurate. Okay, here's one for Friends fans. When it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year, hashtag 2020. I, that was a favorite of mine. Okay, all right, oh my gosh, this one. Okay, if 2020 was a bag of chips and the chip flavor is orange juice and toothpaste. Like, huh, that's just disgusting. It's just wrong. <clears throat> okay, this one. If 2020 was a bonus check, and for those of you that don't know what this is, Clark Griswold from um, all the vacation movies was supposed to get a nice bonus check for Christmas this year, and instead he got a Jelly of the Month Club subscription. It's quality, right? Okay, this next one is for all the parents because I feel like this face is the reaction that all parents had no matter uh, if it if you had your kids starting school in person, starting school online, or you were having to homeschool them. It feels pretty accurate. Okay, here's another one for Friends fans. Friday the 13th versus Friday the 13th 2020. Yeah, it, it's a totally different feel for that one. Okay, this is one of my favorites. Waking up every morning in 2020, be like, let's see, where were we? Oh yes, the pit of despair. Yeah, again, that one tracks. All right, one more that has to do with time travel because you can't really deal with time travel without having Back to the Future. And it's Doc saying, Marty, whatever happens, don't go to 2020. That's very good advice. Thank you, Doc. <laughs> okay, and the last one, 
Now, you'll only get this if you're closer to my age or maybe a little older. Um, and it's who we wanted to narrate 2020 versus who is narrating 2020 or who was narrating 2020. If we, and if you don't know who that second picture is, look up online. It's a weird last name, but it's Bobcat Goldthwaite. It's weird. Uh, but look him up and you will see that he, he it's the worst voice but it's the perfect voice for narrating the last year and a half. It really is. So it's good that we have these and other comedic escapes. It wasn't an easy year by any means. I mean, we had the start of a global pandemic um, that really kicked it off well. We had racial injustices happening throughout our country that really sparked a movement, sparked marches and riots across the country. and. And then we had murder hornets. Like, really? Murder hornets? Seriously. Okay. Um, but I think that we can all see and agree that there's been a lot of hurt and a lot of hate around our country. And that has brought on a lot of hopelessness these days. And maybe you're still feeling that hopelessness even now. And this morning's text is all about finding that hope in the middle of the brokenness, in the middle of our broken world. Because I think we can all agree that we do live in a very broken world. So what comes to mind for you when you hear the word hope? For some of you, maybe it evokes that positive feeling, that warmth, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel idea, a prod of encouragement that things will get better. But for some, maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you have this feeling or this idea that, you know what, no, hope is a lie. Hope is lost. I don't have that right now. It's for other people, not for me. And if we're honest, the past year and a half hasn't been easy on any of us. We've lost loved ones and walked through illnesses. We've felt alone, maybe in ways that we never thought was really possible. And we had to watch our kids and our teens go back to school online, eventually some in person, but it was an incredibly difficult time for them, not only academically, but also socially and emotionally. It's been a rough time. So I think it's very fitting that the song we're working through this morning starts with, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, Oh Lord, hear my voice. Maybe 2020 wasn't quite the depths for you, but for many it was. And maybe you're even still in the depths now. And that phrase for me, out of the depths, it conjured these vivid images for me, thinking back to the times when I felt so weighed down by my grief or my pain or depression this feeling like I was drowning in the brokenness. And we all have our own understanding of what the depths are to us. And I want us to sit in that for just a moment, that idea of being in the depths. I don't want us to get lost there or stuck because again, our message this morning is about hope, but how can we begin to really hope if we don't understand that we do live in a broken world? Now, there's a part that I don't wanna gloss over and it would be really easy to just skip ahead and talk about other things from the passage, but the psalmist uses the word iniquities in verse three. And what they're talking about here is 
guilt or punishment for sin. We don't like to talk about the word sin these days. It's really kind of become a dirty word. Like no one wants to be told that they're wrong or they're doing something wrong, right? We don't want to hear that. But I don't think that we can ignore the idea of sin because it's in understanding our own sinfulness and human sinfulness in general that we see why there's oppression and violence and exploitation in our world. The word sin tends to be used um, by us in a couple different ways. The first may be a little bit more obvious is that we see the, the sin of other people and we point it out, right? It, it's very easy to look at someone else and see their sin. And we say, well, at least that's not me, or at least I'm not that person. I'm not doing that. But when we do that, what we're doing is we're removing ourselves or we're absolving ourselves from our own sin. And, and we forget that sin is just as pervasive in our own lives as it is in others. The second way that we use sin is by blaming our sin for the bad things in our lives. Almost like we categorize sin as karma. So it's like, I did this sinful thing. That must be why I'm being punished in this way. Like that's why I must be hurting or this thing happened. Like it's a punishment. And it's as if to say we deserve the hurtful things that we are experiencing because of our sin. And while I think it's important to take ownership of our mistakes and the consequences for the things that we do, I think it's also just as important to see the damage that a shame culture and a purity culture can cause on people, can cause on us and our own um, emotional and mental well-being. Sinfulness has its effects to be sure. There are obvious ways that our sin or the sin of someone else affects our lives. It ripples through our culture, leaving a path of death, oppression, violation, and inequality. But all too often, other people's sin is used as a weapon hurled at them to demean them or diminish their personhood, ignoring the truth of redemption and grace. This psalm is a reminder to us of that grace, of the fact that we have a radically forgiving God. One writer put it that sin is a fundamental orientation away from God. When we're turned away from God, we also lose sight of the light and hope that he offers. Now pause, I, want, I just want to pause for a minute and I want you to hear me for this next part. There are a few things I'm not trying to say when I talk about having hope in the Lord. I'm not saying that having hope in the Lord automatically cures someone of depression or anxiety or other mental health issues that need medication and or therapy. I'm not saying that having hope in the Lord automatically fixes the atrocities we see on the news from around the world and in our country. And I'm not saying that having hope in the Lord stops the hurt or abuse in a relationship that you or someone you know may find themselves. In situations like these and many others I didn't mention, we, we, should, we, we should pray like the psalmist does here. Remember that there is hope in the Lord and then take action or get help. And so I want you to hear me when I say, if you need help, please don't stay silent.
In verse 3, it says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word, I hope. It goes on to use the metaphor of a watchman waiting for the morning light to come. Now, a watchman's job was to be at the gate of the town or city and all night long just watch the darkness for danger coming. Be on the lookout for what might come and attack the city. And as you can imagine, that's an exhausting and lonely and probably pretty scary job just to wait and watch the darkness. But what this is telling us is that the watchman, as night goes on and the morning starts to come and slowly the light creeps in, he can have hope. She can have hope that it's almost over, that the night is coming to a close and daylight is on its way and that they've made it to the safety of the morning. So I don't know if you've seen this movie, but this is all that I could really picture when I was trying to think of a good analogy for what this hope is like. So have you seen The NeverEnding Story? Great movie. I will say that I'm going to spoil the ending. And if you haven't seen it, the movie is almost 40 years old. So it's really past its point of like spoiler. Um, but I am going to be telling you the ending. And so the whole premise of this movie is that in this land called Fantasia, the nothing is going through and destroying everything. It's just disintegrating all of Fantasia, all of the the places, the the people or creatures and just everything. So at the end of the movie, the nothing has literally destroyed everything in its path. There's nothing left except for the childlike empress who ruled Fantasia and Atreyu, who's one of the main characters. So it's just them. And in her hand, the childlike empress is holding this little kernel of sand, this one piece left of Fantasia. And she and Atreyu are surrounded by darkness. There's nothing around them. But in her hand, this one piece of, of sand is glowing and it's lighting up their faces. It's their one shining piece of hope that their world is going to be okay, that they can survive this. And that's what I'm picturing now. This one small light in the darkness, in the depths that we find ourselves, that is hope in the Lord. Waiting is never easy, and wait and hope throughout the Bible are synonymous. We need to realize, we do, we need to realize that we have sinned, but we also need to realize that we are already forgiven. Because remember I said we have a radically forgiving God. And that means not only are we forgiven, but so are the people that we find it impossible to forgive. The ones that we think don't deserve forgiveness. That's the reality of a radically forgiving, forgiven, forgiving God. Sorry. We wait and we hope that one day the brokenness of our world will be set right. God has redeemed us. He has not abandoned us. He is here with us. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, in this book um, that he wrote, it's called Psalms, the Prayer Book of the Bible. If you want to look it up, it's a great little book. Um, just helping you pray through and work through understanding the 
the Psalms a little bit more. It's not super long. But he said, but even in the deepest hopelessness, God alone remains the one addressed. And that's what our psalmist did today in the depths of hopelessness. They called out to God for that redemption. Sometimes it seems maybe it's easier, or at least more familiar to sit in hopelessness. But I want to leave us with this thought. What if instead we remembered the hope offered to us by a loving God? What if that hope helps spur us on to either get the help we need or be the help someone else needs? Thanks, y'all.